Welcome to Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. Bibles, we are going to be in Acts chapter 15 this morning. Uh, but before we get there, I want to uh, make a re- recommendation. Um, uh, I don't normally do this, but I do think this is fairly important. Um, read a book recently. It actually comes out August 1st, um, so in a couple days. But the book is uh, titled, Does the Bible Support Same-Sex Marriage? Uh, 21 Conversations from a Historically Christian View. Um, I don't know that there's anyone in here who does not have a connection with someone who either is struggling with their uh, attraction or who is um, living out their attraction. Um, Whether it's family members, whether it's friends or whatnot. Um, And here's the thing. The church will not love people towards Jesus Christ with a soundbite. It requires walking with people in love, in kindness. Paul says in Romans uh, that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Um, and sometimes we don't, we forget that. Sometimes we don't remember that. Um, but this book is by a guy named Preston Sprinkle. Um, I read it, uh, we, we went to Michigan to visit family uh, last week, and uh, full disclosure, as I was reading this book uh, on the plane in and out of San Francisco, I never let the front cover see the light of day because I didn't want to get into an argumentative conversation <laughs> with anyone. Um, but what I love about this book and what I super appreciate is that the first chapter has nothing to do with a with an issue, it has everything to do with how do we as Jesus followers have conversations and lead people toward Jesus in things that we completely disagree on and that are biblical disagreements. Um, That chapter alone is worth reading. Um, And then he walks through, and I love how he has written this book because here's what he does in these 21 conversations. He takes an affirming argument and presents it as strong as he can. And then he talks about the things that that we as believers would agree with in that argument. And then he looks at what the Bible says and how that relates to that argument. Um, And I would say, even if you're in here today and you're saying, I don't know what I think about that issue, um, maybe even you're on the side of saying, no, I, I think it is okay. I think you could probably read this book and not be wildly offended because I think Preston takes seriously that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Um, so I, I, would, I would just highly recommend this. Uh, August 1st, you can go on Amazon and order it if you want. Um, but what I want to do in September, and you'll get more information about this in September, I would like, uh, for those who choose to do that, choose to read it and read through it, um, 
that uh, gather together in, in September and actually have some conversation and processing because regardless of what it is, in a five-minute conversation with another person, you will find something you disagree with them, even if it's alone with yourself. So um, not everything is going to be agreed about, but um, I think it'd be really good as a step because as I said before, again, sound bites will not draw people to Jesus necessarily. It's walking with people. If, if, if sound bites worked, Jesus, God would have sent a sound bite rather than his son. And so um, it is important that we as the church get this right and love people well and lead people to Jesus who is the savior and king of the world. Um, which actually is a great segue into the passage we have today. We're in Acts 15, 36, where Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement and they part ways. I don't know if, I'm sure that you've, I don't know, I guess I'm sure isn't the case. I bet most of us in here have used the phrase, agree to disagree. If you haven't used it, I bet it's been used in your, in your context, maybe even on you, or if you haven't used it or it's not been used on you, you've heard of it. <laughs> agree to disagree is kind of our culture's way of trying to solve disagreements between us. And typically, there are a lot of things for us to disagree about today in our world around us. In the church, there's all kinds of things to disagree about. There's differences between biblical, non-negotiable, which even what is non-negotiable in the Bible, even that within Christian circles is argued about and what's not. But, but those non-negotiable things and the things that are in the area of, of uh, conviction and conscience, and even those have a range of severity. Uh, it's interesting, like if you were to be asked, what are the non-negotiable things that you must you must adhere to in order to follow Jesus. You ask 10 different people, you'll have 10 different lists of things and there's probably some overlap. And then you get all the way to like conscience and conviction. Um, the reality is not everyone needs to live up to my convictions. Not everyone has to live up to your, uh, the things that are allowed or not allowed by your conscience led by the Holy Spirit. Do you drink alcohol or do you not drink alcohol? Um, I don't drink alcohol because I don't like the taste of alcohol and I don't do things I don't want to do, which God's working on me because he sometimes wants me to do things I don't want to do and he's working on me on that. But, but that's, that can be a, an issue of conscience and we sometimes force that on other people and we have disagreements about those things. And so a lot of times we land at this place of saying, well, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. Um, the Oxford Dictionary defines agree to disagree as this, to cease to argue about something because neither party will compromise or be persuaded. In other words, both parties say, I'm still right. Agree to disagree has become our cultural go-to, not just in secular culture, but within the church, of how we solve disagreements. And it actually doesn't solve anything. Because disagreeing to disagree is kind of dismissing what the other person says because I'm still right and I know you're wrong, but I'm just going to stop talking about it. And we all know that stop talking about things always works out for everyone's benefit. 
The Urban Dictionary, I, I, love, I love what how that defines agree to disagree. What someone says when they want to end an argument, concluding that both parties think they're right and they will get nowhere arguing, it is an attempt by our culture to be civil. And here's what's interesting. Civility is a cheap invitation a cheap imitation to what Jesus actually calls us to because he doesn't call us to civility, he calls us to self-sacrificing love. And if we stop civility, we actually have not obeyed Jesus. And, And so this is me talking, but I would say that agree to disagree and the forms of it have no place in the kingdom of God or the church because of the posture that I believe it takes. The posture of agree to disagree is self-confidence and arrogance, and Jesus calls us to humility and brotherly affection. When was the last time someone ended an argument saying, well, we'll just agree to disagree that you saw humility and brotherly affection woven into that context? Very rarely. Now, maybe I'm weird, and you're like, no, it's totally like, Every time I'm in a agree to disagree, there is, it is just overflowing with humility and, and, and self-sacrificing love and, and brotherly affection. It seems to me that at best, agree to disagree ends in dismissal of that person, and typically it ends in creating more tribes within the family of God. Because we're just going to stop talking about this and we just create distance between one another and we no longer have to be around that person because we're not going to talk about these things. So what do we do when we can't agree on something? What is humility, which by the way is the foundational thing of following Jesus and obeying him. Paul says, have this attitude like Jesus who humbled himself to be obedient to his father and to even to death on a cross. How do we then, or what does humility look like when we really, really, really feel we are right and there's a lot at stake? Because just because something is true does not give us an excuse not to walk in humility. And and so what does that look like? Well, fortunately, we have this passage with Paul and Barnabas who actually walked that road. And I'll say at the front end, I don't think in any way that Paul and Barnabas ended their conversation by saying, we're just agree to disagree, even though they parted ways. So we're in Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. It says, and after, and again, after some days, um, that after some days is after some days after the Jerusalem council, which, which they came together and Travis preached on last week and how they met together talking about the gospel going out to the Gentiles, the ministry that Paul was already doing with Barnabas out in, uh, in Cyprus and Turkey, modern day Turkey. And, and so they're doing that ministry. And so the Jerusalem council had to come together and, and they, they, they recognized that ministry as being legitimate, which again, there wasn't really a need for that because the Holy Spirit had already recognized that ministry. But, but after some days, probably three to four months-ish after that council had met, 
Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and, to, and see how they're doing. So they wanted to go backtrack, go back to Cyprus and go back throughout Turkey. And they wanted to go visit those cities that they planted churches in so that they could encourage those because those people were coming out of all kinds of things of, of pagan culture and, and family history and belief and practice and behavior, all of those things. And so they wanted to go back and they wanted to encourage them who they had built these relationships on their last journey that they took. And so it sounds like from the way the text, the narrative goes, it sounds like both Paul and Barnabas thought that wasn't a bad idea. And so it says, now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. And we met John Mark earlier in Acts 13, where it said that, you know, Paul and Barnabas were singled out by the Holy Spirit and, and they, they, they went to the Gentiles with the gospel. And then later it says, and they took John Mark with them. And then it says later in Acts 13 that John Mark left them mid-trip. John Mark, uh, to get, again, a little bit more familiar, he was a relative of Barnabas, um, he was actually from a very influential Jewish family in Jerusalem that was super influential in the Jerusalem church. So their family was kind of like really important in the Jerusalem church, had a lot of, a lot of pull, a lot of influence. They were kind of movers and shakers within that context. And they were Jewish, and so they had the, the background in the synagogue and in the, in the temple in Jerusalem. And, and, and also what we know about John Mark is that he, when he traveled with Paul and Barnabas, he went through Cyprus, and then we, they got to the mainland. Uh, he basically, I don't know, it doesn't give us the details of why, but he left. He flaked out. He, there's lots of people talk about all the different possibilities. Maybe he was homesick. Maybe he was physically sick. Maybe he was concerned. That, that, that distance between mainland up into the areas where Paul and Barnabas were going was notoriously dangerous not just from uh, other human dangers, but also natural disasters. There was flooding that happened uh, in that region, in that area often, and so people often died as they journeyed inland. And so there was lots of reasons and conjecture about what maybe he, he left because of, but scripture isn't clear. It doesn't give us the details of why John Mark left. But he left, but what we do know is he didn't go back to Antioch where he started. He actually went back to Jerusalem, back home home not back to Antioch where he had been, been living for a while. And so we read on. It says, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So it says that Paul thought best. He was thinking, you know what? I don't, you know what? He thought, I mean, the way I read that is, because Paul was like, yeah, I, I don't know if that's the greatest idea to take John Mark. He's kind of, kind of flaked. He flaked on us last time. I'm not into taking, you know, flaky people on trips. I don't know what, what he was exactly thinking, but, but he was kind of like, he thought best not to take him. And then it says this, which, which when I read that, I'm kind of like, oh, he had some thoughts about it. You know, nothing, nothing extreme. But then the next verse says, and there arose a sharp disagreement 
so that they separated from each other. That escalated quickly, right? Like that feels like that was a major escalation in that moment. So Barnabas says, hey, let's bring John Mark with us. And, and Paul says, thinks it's not best to do that. And so then it says they disagreed. They had this, sounds like this throwdown and it ended in them parting ways. Now, this is really significant because Paul and Barnabas had 10 years plus of ministry together. Barnabas believed in Paul when none of the other apostles gave him a chance. They said, we're not touching that guy with a 10-foot pole. That guy is faking it. He's gonna kill us all. It's a plot to destroy the church. And Barnabas said, nope, I believe the spirit can do this and does do this, and so I'm going to vouch for Paul, and I'm going to go, what you think is risking my life, but I'm just going to obey the Spirit. And so, and so Barnabas vouches for Paul, and then asks Paul to join in the work at Antioch in this first Gentile church, and Paul and Barnabas go, and they're, they're selected and identified by the Holy Spirit to go and take the word to the Gentiles. They, they, were, they, they actually... I. Archaeologists found matching T-shirts of Paul and Barnabas that said, we got stoned together. Um, that might not be true, but I wish it was. Um, it was just, you know, like the original Christian witness wear, which was a conversation starter. So like people were like, oh, you got stoned? No, it wasn't drinking. It was, we actually got stoned by rocks, you know, together. And so like, like they, when you go through that kind of thing together, that creates a deep and significant bond. And John Tillerson, you do not disagree with that statement. You love what I just did. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so, so basically they had this deep, deep ministry connection and shared their lives together and they have a disagreement and they split. Now listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter four. And you'll find this theme in every single letter that the apostle Paul wrote. It's a theme of unity. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift, except for me and Barnabas. That last part I added, because that's what it feels like a little bit. Paul's calling people to lay things aside. He's calling people to walk worthy of the calling that they're called with humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another. And he says, if you're taking John Mark, I'm not going. In fact, in Philippians 4, he calls out two women in the church who are in a disagreement and he says, these two women, by name, he says, I entreat you to agree in the Lord Yes, I also ask true companion to help these women who have labored, labored side by side with me in the gospel. So is Paul just the world's biggest hypocrite? 
because he talks a big game of unity and bearing with one another and even calls people out when they're in disagreement. And then when it comes to him, which that kind of thing is like, I want you, you know, don't do as I do, just do as I say. And he says, do all these things. And then Barnabas wants to take John Mark and he's like, no, he's flaky. We're not, we're not going together anymore. The trip's off. I think that considering Paul's life and integrity and what he writes and what he says and how he's lived, I don't think he's a hypocrite. I also think he lives by what he preaches. And I think that's evident in how he handles this. Not, and we don't see it in the passage, but we see it in the life of Paul and his writings later. Um, I actually think we don't wanna gloss over this disagreement in, 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 in John Mark too quickly because I think it's really important. Because, because do you really think that homesick John Mark would be enough reason to compel Paul to say, hey, we're part splitting ways? You think that would be a big enough reason? I don't think so. That seems really uncharacteristic of what Paul preached and what he did. Uh, do you think that, that John Mark's just flaky and he's not very dependable? And do you think that's enough to split ways with somebody you've been in ministry with for 10 plus years sharing your life together? I don't think so. That doesn't seem to follow with Paul's character. Certainly doesn't follow with Barnabas. And so I wanna throw out a speculation. This is my speculation from the text and the timeline of what may have happened. Now, scripture doesn't give us exactly what happened. I think this is, seems pretty legitimate though, looking at, 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 the, at the context. Why did John Mark desert Paul and Barnabas on that first trip? And I think it was, I think it was probably pretty serious because of Paul's reaction and his escalation and saying, We're not, I'm not taking him, he's not ready. And so again, this is speculative, but I think it fits the timeline in the, in the context. It must have been really significant issue for Paul and Barnabas to part ways after 10 years of contending for the gospel, bringing it to the, to the Gentiles. Unlike our culture of weaponizing convictions or confusing Jesus with ideologies to part ways. I don't think this was that. I don't think Paul weaponized his conviction and then threw it down and say, see, we can't be together. I don't think that, that Paul was like, well, you know, looking at my, my culture and my upbringing and, and all of these things and kind of confused Jesus with his ideology, which may have been great, may have been bad, but confused that and use that as an excuse to part ways. I don't think he did that at all. I, I think there was something really significant. And here's what I would, I would say. I, I think that it's very likely that John Mark was very uncomfortable with direct ministry to the Gentiles apart from the synagogue. What Paul did was he went into a new place and he went into the synagogue first and preached the gospel. And when ultimately in each synagogue that was rejected, he went to the public places and preached to the Gentiles apart from the synagogue. And I think John Mark, being of a very significant Jewish family line, believed, as we see in the trajectory of the book of Acts, 
we see the believers in Jerusalem having a hard time with the Gentiles being included apart from the synagogues and being out, outside their turf. That's why the Jerusalem Council came together. And so I, I think I can't help but wonder if John Mark was really uncomfortable with that. And as they got to mainland Turkey, he was like, you know what, I, I can't be a part of this. And he went back to Jerusalem, not to Antioch. I think it's very likely that he went back to Jerusalem and told his parents, his family, hey, this is what's going on and it seems concerning to me. Like the Gentiles aren't being asked to be circumcised. They're just getting Jesus. Because it's interesting, because after the split, after John Mark goes home, that, and gets to Jerusalem, that's when the Jerusalem church and the Jerusalem believers start to give Paul a hard time about his ministry with the Gentiles. I think that's really interesting, interesting turn of events that they happened in that moment, which again leads to the Jerusalem council where they have to wrestle with the question, can the Gentiles become Christians without putting on the Jewish customs and ways that we received from Abraham. And Travis walked through that last week. I think if that was the case, I can absolutely see Paul saying, I'm not taking John Mark because he doesn't understand what the Spirit's doing. He doesn't understand the mission that we're on. And I'm not gonna have someone who is not ready to recognize the work of the Spirit in our time on our trip with us. And I can fully see Barnabas saying, Paul, <laughs> I gave you a chance when no one else would. I believed in you and I believe in John Mark and he's going to be okay. I see God doing work in his life, so I want to take him so we can help him see what God's doing. So who's right and who's wrong? Whose side do you take? <laughs> and, and so, and I can see if that was the case, I can see why Paul would say, I'm not taking him. And if you want to take him, go ahead, but we're not going to go together. Because John Mark is a hurdle to the ministry that the Holy Spirit has appointed us to. I mean, Barnabas coming back to say, well, did not the Holy Spirit appoint us to a ministry of reconciliation? <laughs> Like, that's a tough argument to, like, wade into. So, so it says in the text then, what we see happen, it says, so they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Silas was uh, pretty, pretty um, influential in the Jerusalem church. He was also a Roman citizen, in his gifting, it says in the text that he was a prophet. And, and so Paul takes Silas with him and, and they, it says that they depart and they, they, they depart and they have been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord and they went out strengthening the churches. The church commended both teams to go out and bring encouragement and the gospel to the Gentiles. And so what, what do we learn from Paul and Barnabas in their disagreement? 
Well, we, we, what I think we can learn, we have to look at the broader context of what happened after that. What happened after they split? I think that what we learn is what Jesus calls us to in our disagreement posture. Our disagreement posture, because we're gonna have disagreements with one another. But there's a posture that Jesus calls us to take. And I think the first thing in that posture is to resist the temptation to always take sides. Resist the temptation to always take sides. That is a huge sin in our culture today. You must take sides and you must verbalize the side that you've taken. Because if you do not verbalize to me the side that you've taken, then you are obviously on the other side and we can't be together. Which is ridiculous and arrogant to say, because you've not taken a side, I know that you're not on mine and so you're a problem. (laughs) But that's what our culture teaches us. We have to take a side. And here's the reality. Not everything is as important as you think it is or you are led to believe. Now, I know the motives are totally pure and these organizations only want good for your life, but when the news tells you something's important, it might not actually be important. And I know that is almost sinful to question what we hear on the news. <laughs> I mean, not any news, just the news of your preference and your tribe. <laughs> but everything around us tries to convince us that what we think is the most important thing. In Acts 13, uh, my friend Craig actually had this observation and I was like, man, that's a really interesting question. Um, Going back to Acts 13, uh, where Paul and Barnabas were sent out, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, They went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John Mark to assist them. Here's an observation that my friend Craig made. He said, you know, it's interesting that says, and they had John Mark to assist them. It doesn't say anywhere that the Holy Spirit chose John Mark to go on that trip. Now, I don't know if that's something or not, But just to take a pause and back up for a second, did John Mark go on the trip because they thought it would be a fun thing or a good idea? Or maybe he had a fear of missing out because he wanted to go with his relative Barnabas and do this exciting new adventuring work? Or did the Holy Spirit prepare and choose John Mark to go on the trip? It seems like the Holy Spirit didn't have a lot to do with it because it sounds like John Mark wasn't ready. And, and so I think there, there's a pretty, pretty important thing here to recognize what is the assignment that Jesus has given to you right now. See, there's a difference between our calling and our assignment. Our calling is something that every person who follows Jesus shares in common. We all have the same calling. And that is to draw close to Jesus and to make disciples. That is everyone's calling in this room if you know Jesus as your savior. Draw near to Jesus and make disciples. Our assignments are different. Jesus has a list of assignments for everyone who follows him and he will give you your assignment and those differ and there's many throughout your life. Don and Joan had an assignment to go and disciple in Spain and now their assignment is different because they completed that assignment. Allison has an assignment to go to Haiti and she'll have another assignment after that is complete. 
Some of you in this room have an assignment tomorrow to go to work and represent Jesus to the people you work with. That's your assignment. And once that's complete, you'll get a different job because that's how Jesus works. And, and so the thing is, we tend to think everyone should be on board with our assignment. <laughs> that everyone should be excited and, 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 and moving in our assignment. And that's not true. Make certain that my movements are spirit-led. Not jumping into the assignment of someone else, but recognizing that God gives me an assignment and I need to obey that assignment. We need to ask ourselves, in what ways will, will taking a side compromise my witness to others? Is it even necessary for me to take a side? And where is the pressure coming from for me to take a side? Like, who's telling me I need to take a side? Because if it's the news or if it's the culture around me, or even if it's a group of people who are biased towards something, maybe I don't need to take a side. If it's the Holy Spirit or Scripture telling me to take a side, then I better take a side because that's disobedience. <laughs> Second thing is this, recognize that disagreement will exist until Jesus returns. That's how long we will have things to disagree about with each other. It will happen until Jesus, we see Jesus face to face. First Corinthians verse 13 says this, love never ends as for prophecies they will pass away, as for tongues they will cease, as for knowledge it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfect comes, the partial will pass away. What does that mean? It means this. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. In this lifetime, we see dimly. We don't see the whole thing. So we're gonna have disagreements. But one day we'll see face to face. What is face to face? Face to face with Jesus Christ when he judges everything. Then we'll see clearly and we won't have a lot of arguments. <laughs> now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even I have been fully known. And here's the thing, it takes a lot of humility, maturity, and wisdom to recognize when your position is not that important and when it is that important. Because our feelings and our emotions are really, really strong. And they will lead us in places that probably end up in a pasture far from where the Spirit is leading us and working in us. Often, agreeing to disagree is not humility at all, but is a way of relieving yourself from doing the hard work Jesus died for. Third thing is this, rest in God's providence to overrule disagreement for good. God will use whatever situation it is for his glory and for his kingdom. Make no mistake, Satan got some mileage out of Paul and Barnabas' split, I guarantee it. I guarantee there are people in the early church who are like, yeah, uh, you know, Barnabas, he's, he's really soft on sin. He, he's going woke because he just lets John Mark come back into the fold and takes him with him. And he's just, Paul's my guy because Paul stands on the truth of the gospel. And other people are like, Paul's a jerk and he should be removed from ministry because he doesn't believe in second chances. He has no grace because he had a second chance. He killed Christians and he still got to be an apostle. And so, I mean, there was, I guarantee you, Satan got mileage out of what happened, but God got more mileage out of it. What did God get out of that? Covered more ground with two teams led by amazing apostles. 
God got more ground out of by restoring and reinforcement from John Mark because we see in later texts that John Mark learned something from that. It was reinforced for him that the Gentiles fully and freely get the gift of salvation and they don't have to live up to the Jewish customs. John Mark also, I think, was restored to recognizing that God has a plan and an assignment for him and his life. I think a further work of humility and discernment was done in Paul as he recognizes that maybe, (laughs) maybe there's hope for John Mark in the ministry of Jesus Christ. See, here's the thing. We will answer face-to-face to Jesus for, for our decisions and our positions, even if he used my immaturity or disobedience for his good. So just because my immaturity or disobedience results, God uses that for good, doesn't let me off the hook. (laughs) I still have to answer for that. Last thing. Remember that differences are not greater than love. Remember that differences are not greater than love. We have no evidence of trash talk or gossip from Paul or Barnabas. In fact, what we do have is love, respect, and coming back around in relationship and usefulness. We need to make sure that we do not let the emotional or logical or moral strength of our disagreement be so firm that we cannot revise it later. Because sometimes we dismiss those who God is preparing for greater works than we can imagine. And we're wrong. (laughs) We need to be careful. There's a ton of scriptures that I don't have the time to go through that we see in Paul's letters about this situation. In 1 Corinthians 9, he, he classifies, this is after the split, he talks about Barnabas as a fellow apostle on the same level that he's at. In Colossians 4, he says, uh, greet Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, and when he comes to you, welcome him. In Philemon 24, Paul writes, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Or sorry, that's, in, that's actually Timothy, 2 Timothy 4. Bring him with you for he is useful for ministry. In, in uh, Philemon uh, 23 and 24, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends his greeting to you and so does Mark, my fellow worker. So, It doesn't sound like they just agreed to disagree and parted ways and said, you're still wrong and I'm still right. It sounds like there was humility and a posture of self-sacrificing love within the context, even though they split ways. Will my mouth or fingers cause me to lose my integrity if I find myself revising things later? (laughs) Be careful what comes out of my mouth or I put to text. Because here's the thing, past sin and failure do not preclude future faithfulness and success. Past sin and failure do not preclude future faithfulness and success. So I wanna invite the worship team to come back up and I know we're a little bit over. It's obviously Don and Joan's fault. But the thing that I, that I would like us to just reflect on in the moment and 
for the rest of the day because if you are here and you're like, you know what, I, I've nailed all those things. I'm good at all those things. Then please come talk to me because I'd love to learn how you do that. But I think for most of us, there's some conviction here and some life change that is necessary. Do you agree to disagree or do you humbly, do you humble yourself and seek the unity of the spirit? Are you able to see the difference of what God deems important and the things that you are just concerned about? We're gonna do communion together. I think communion is so many things, but communion is one of those things that Jesus has left us with to do together to remind us of this very thing. As Jesus followers, we don't get to disagree or agree to disagree. We have to continue to walk together and struggle and contend for one another. And that's what Jesus was saying when he said, this is my body that's broken for you. Why was it broken for us? So that we can have the same unity that Jesus has with his father. And so when you do this, remember that my body was broken. I gave my life self-sacrificially so you could have life and you could be part of a family. So let's take the bread together. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, when you do this, every time you get together, when you do this, remember that I shed my blood even though you didn't deserve it. Like Paul, like John Mark, you didn't deserve a second chance, but I gave you that chance. This is the blood of the new covenant that makes it possible that you can have fellowship with me and fellowship with one another. So do the hard work of walking together, even when you don't want to. Let's take the, take the cup together. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint.